You know, we've waited a really long time for another 007 film. <laughs> That's what we've been waiting for, hasn't it? Yeah, and the fact that they've announced one and they've cast Nicolas Cage, I'm just like... <laughs> Could you imagine? I am over the moon. I would, like... I would... I would... I would ship bricks. Like, I literally... I don't know... I don't know if I would be excited or mortified or... <laughs> or what would... He would... He, honestly, though, hang on. So... <laughs> No, 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 no. And humor me for a second here. I, I'll try. Picture, don't picture like typical, ridiculous, quirky Nicolas Cage. Picture Nicolas Cage in the best, so, like, oh, that's so actually not, good. Right, not Con Air. Not Con Air. Yeah. Okay. Um, not most of everything else he's done. But like, <laughs> but picture like either, you know, whether it's Gone in 60 Seconds or National Treasure. Like picture sure. picture one of those things or Knowing. I don't know if you've seen Knowing. I have, um, yeah. Picture something where you're like, oh, that's actually like, that was actually a pretty, or Pig. Picture Pig. Pig, yes. Right? Where it's like a, it's like a, a legit performance. Raising, now, raising Arizona. Now, let's say I get my way and Tom Hardy is the new 007. Right? Okay. I don't think Nicolas Cage as a Bond villain is off the table. <laughs> no, really, though. Definitely not. Because a Bond villain has to have, like, like the over-the-top quirkiness, personality defect. Like, that is mm. a Bond villain. Sure. Yeah. It's got some legs. It's got some it's legs. Got some Hello legs. and welcome. Welcome to the Movie Men podcast. I am Peter the Nicolas Cage pusher is Brady. And what we have been waiting a long time for is two things. Two things. Um, One. Can I, can I guess? Yes. Or are you, you, okay. No, please. Um, um, uh, free healthcare in Canada to, to actually become free healthcare and not just us paying for our taxes and thinking it's free healthcare? <laughs> no, but that would be good. That would be, that would be phenomenal. Um, sure. National Treasure 3. Oh, that's true. Okay, that that is another issue. That is not what we've been waiting for. It ha it is, but not what I was going to ask about. And the three D re release in IMAX of Titanic. Oh, hot diggity! Yeah, that'd yeah. be so. I mean, those are good. two things we've been waiting for. I don't know where those you're are two things we've been here. waiting for. But I can't answer that tonight. That will not be what's going on tonight. The two things that we've been waiting for that we will address tonight. The first is we are addressing Mission Impossible. As those who can read and click listen on this episode can tell, we are finally getting around to the Tom Cruise <laughs> iconic uh, franchise. Wait a this second. This is episode one. How many people do you think have clicked on this episode that can't read? <laughs> like, just out, of, just out of curiosity. Like, I know there's people <laughs> out there who can't read, but do you think they're stumbling upon this podcast? I quite possibly. It's, it's all I have in the world. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> the other thing, which is more emotionally impactful for us as the movie men, is having a guest on the show. A guest on the show who was supposed to be here so long ago. He was supposed to be here for 20, the last Jedi. The 20, last Jedi. Nineteen. Twenty nineteen. And technical issues pushed that off. A pandemic pushed that off. All of us being busy human beings pushed that off. But tonight, we are finally, finally here in person to talk film with the one and only Zach. Wait, you guys are in person? 
Uh, no. no, but it no, sounded cool. You know, we are uh, emotionally in person. Uh, yes. You know, we are, we are experiencing a large amount of togetherness. Yeah. <laughs> Zach, Welcome, yeah, Zach. Zach was going to do The Last Jedi with us. He yes, was. I, I wrote a crazy book full of notes. I was ready to tell the world why, you know, it was the best Star Wars movie of, of my lifetime. And, uh, you know, uh, you know, uh, uh, you know, they shut me down. Kathleen, Can- <laughs> you know, the <laughs> Kathleen Kennedy stopped it. You know, a blackball. So wait, so did we cancel or did you? No, I was, I, we, I was literally, I think I came on, this is probably extremely boring for your listeners. I came, <laughs> I was literally on the zoom and, uh, we just couldn't get it working from a technical standpoint, which I think came very close to maybe happening again tonight. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> and, and eventually I think you guys, because I think it was again, super boring for your listeners, but I think it was the beginning of the pandemic. So you guys, I don't yeah. think you figured out the, uh, mm the virtual yeah. records yet mm-hmm. uh and i was extremely well, virtual yeah so it was it was to make it even more boring yeah so wait I wait had, wait for, are you gonna, <laughs> what no i are you gonna say it wasn't zoom it was something that for contractual reasons i won't oh. say what it was and for ptsd me remembering us using that software i'm not gonna say what it is but continue brady yeah. So no, this is you know this is the pulse pounding content people want from the Mission yeah, Impossible so, podcast. You know, so can you imagine? You can't read. You're just clicking on podcasts at random. <laughs> you get this. Yeah. Just so put it down. It's yeah. called source. It's called Source Connect now. I'll just come out <laughs> and say it. it. Is and, it ever? And unless those dicks want to sponsor us. Uh, <laughs> the free version. I have no right. doubt that if you dish out money True. for the premium yep. version it 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 honestly yep. it it sounds like it solves a lot of like That's, it is probably the yep. go-to thing to use um yep but if you're but we cheap pour. yeah and yep. i don't even think we, like we didn't even have a patreon set up at that point like, no like, like that was the early yeah the early days and so uh we were using the free version and the free version is shit like it's it's <laughs> crummy but um no so 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 just out of curiosity then zach um mm-hmm. Would you have given a positive or a negative review for The Last Jedi? Positive. I'm a I'm a big fan. All right. Um, All right. Yeah. Um, I listened to your episode. It was good. I mean, if you guys were more open minded than I was worried you would be, but yeah, I, I really, <laughs> I I really quite like that movie. Uh, I like you know I like most Star Wars movies to varying degrees. Uh, sure. You know, uh, even the ones that I think are objectively bad, like. Um, uh, like Phantom, uh, Menace. Phantom Menace, I you know there's a nostalgia. Um, I'm yep. into George Lucas's yep. vision, the crazy, you know, the that crazy yep. bastard, uh, you know, <laughs> getting to do making essentially like the world's most expensive independent films, which are basically what those movies are. Yeah. Uh, so I, I I I'm I'm into the vi- I'm into the vision. Uh, Rise of Skywalker was probably the first one that I Star Wars movie that I just wish didn't happen. <laughs> But Whoa! Yeah, that's, really? the, that's the Star Wars, ba- yeah, that's the Star Wars podcast. But yeah. sure. uh, don't like yeah. that movie. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, okay. so yeah. as Pete alluded to by say- coming out and saying it directly, um, <laughs> we are doing uh, the Mission Impossible series. So there is a Mission Impossible movie coming up and um, out in theaters. And as is our way to sometimes do when there's a movie coming up, we look at it and we go, huh, there's a lengthy 
back catalog here. Let's stress ourselves out and try to schedule in an episode for all of the pre-existing movies. That way, when we go see the new movie, we're like fresh and caught up and ready to go. Uh, we've done that a few times. We did that with, um, well, we did with all Star of Harry Wars. Potter. We did it with, with Star, Star Wars. Wars. We yep. did it with all of Harry Potter and then the Fantastic Beasts. And then we were we were all caught up and ready to go there. Uh, we did it with James Bond, although James Bond was a little bit of a, because of COVID delays, we yeah. were doubling up, tripling up, quadrupling up <laughs> some weeks just to try to like, we're like, oh, we're not going to make it. We're not going to make it. Uh, and then we we made it by about nine and a half months. Um, <laughs> so that was, that was something. Um, but I bring up 007 specifically because we did something unique in our 007 series that we have not done since. Um, which was we had eight categories that we we ranked the film on. We kind of broke it down by category, and we would give the film a score from zero to ten in each category. Um, and then we would average up all those instead of like pulling a number out of thin air for our our ranking. We would average up all those numbers, and that would give us where we figured out that this was like the most objective way of like figuring out okay which mission impossible movie was our favorite mission impossible movie um because mm. if we if we stick to the chart then in theory that's you know it's it was about as objective as we could get um yeah. or as as reliable as we could get um mm -hmm. and th a lot of those categories kind of carry over nicely into Mission Impossible. Now, we've had to make a couple of alterations to a few of them. Um, obviously, there's no portrayal of Bond. <laughs> there's no Bond song. Mm -hmm. um, and there's no Bond girl. Um, mm -hmm. But we do have the categories. You could just rate, um, I mean, for song, you could just rate a different version of the theme. Yeah, theme. yeah possibly. So what we've yep. what we've got laid out here is these are our eight categories. We've got plot. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. We've got Tom Cruise's performance. We do. We've got the villain. Mm -hmm. We've got gadgets, use of gadgets. Mm -hmm. We have fights slash action. We have romantic interest. Mm. We have supporting characters and replacing the Bond song. We have the intro sequence because there's always yeah. like that, that, you know, like five minute scene before the iconic music starts. And mm -hmm. like right now, like it, there's no point in ranking the music because it, the, the Mission Impossible intro just gets a 10 out of 10. Like that's it's <laughs> iconic. It's fun. <laughs> it reminds you instantly of what you're watching. It, mm. You know, it's just, it's like saying like, hmm, how would I rank the opening credits of Star Wars? Well. <laughs> good. Yeah, good. Very good. <laughs> 10 out of 10. Yeah. Goosebump right. inducing this, every time. Yeah. This uh, is, this is about grading the hook. How does the hook get us yeah, at the beginning? Yeah. Um, so that's, those are our categories. Um, and we're going to go through each one, one by one. Um, mm -hmm. And, um, and we'll lay out our score and then we'll give a little bit of support for that why we gave it that score uh and then we'll move on to the next one and when all is said and done we will yeah we'll reveal our final score for for this film so are you gentlemen ready our mission Absolutely. yeah should we choose to accept it yeah <laughs> 
<laughs> I mean, this, this podcast will self-destruct in five seconds. So. <laughs> it's just a it's, matter uh, of time. Yeah. Uh, okay, so I'll kick things off with the plot category. Sure. I gave the plot a 7 out of 10. And listen, I the reason I did this is because... I think 7 out of 10 is very respectable. It could certainly be a lot lower. It could be higher. The reason I didn't go higher was twofold. One, if I came to you and I said, hey, you know that spy movie where the issue at hand is there's a list with all of the agents true identities on it and it's going to fall into the wrong hands do, do you know that one Tell, what is the name of that one you would come up with a list of like 17 films and so I, yeah i maybe think mission impossible even goes back to that as an idea uh, it might it might certainly be love their MacGuffins. yeah it's like what if there's a bad thing that the bad guys get and we have got to prevent it yeah, exactly. So this this one was just like a little okay. I've seen a Bond film do this. Like mm, which which true. film was that? Was that like Skyfall oh, or something? Gosh. Oh, something yes. similar. Yeah, in Skyfall. that's yes. Because yes, Bardem is a former agent. And he's right. burning other agents. Mm. Yeah. So Skyfall yep. did it, and then that's I know true. there's been because I know when I saw Skyfall and they did that. That seemed like a tired trope to me. So I know that there's mm. like several, several movies that have done this, but yep. they did make it a little unique in that it was a mole hunt. Like it, it, they didn't follow the formula the same way that I've seen it done every other time. Um, and so, in doing this mole hunt, they actually created the, like, that was actually the catalyst that led to Ethan stealing it anyways. So, mm. I mean, that was kind of interesting. So, that, that, I mean, but that was the one reason I gave it a slightly lower score. The other reason I didn't give it an eight or a nine was the, it, the, the plot becomes perfectly clear and fairly easy to follow once it's revealed that it was a mole hunt. But something for me, and maybe this is just me, but it's my mm. score, so screw you. Um, <laughs> the initial, like, mission briefing, the initial, like, setting up that first operation that they were on, I felt like I was only 75% following along. Like, mm. I was there for the ride. I I understood enough to be able to enjoy it. But it it kind of felt, you know, you'd be watching a movie sometime, like you might be watching like a Tom Clancy movie or even some of the 007 ones, the older 007 films, where it's so entangled in like espionage jargon and mm. military, <laughs> like governmental military, this, that, and the other thing that you're like, look, I don't know what all this means and <laughs> I don't fully under, right? Instead of just saying this guy's trying to get his hands on this list, you've like... <laughs> lined up a couple of buyers and this and that and, you know, the Soviet this. And I'm just like, yeah. So for the first like 15, 20 minutes of the film, I would say I was like 25% lost, but then it all kind of became clear. So all in all, it's a great plot. I just felt like there was a couple of like trimming the fat moments that could have happened. But that's mm. my score for plot, 7 out of 10. Perfect. Zach, you go next. What do you think? 
Okay. Yeah, look, I'd be kind of, I, I'm going to be boring and give the same score as Brady a 7 out of 10. Um, I think... Um, great audio. Okay. <laughs> I think that, um, like, a lot of Mission Impossible movies, the plot is functional. The plot and... I, I literally, you um, you can look this up. Um, this was filmed. The main screenwriter on this film was David Cat, who's like you know a very well established Hollywood writer. He wrote Jurassic Park. He's wrote all kinds of hmm. stuff. He's he's a good functional writer, and he basically said that Brian De Palma brought him in and was like, "Look, I have some ideas for a scene. I want him to be hanging from a ceiling. I want him to fight on a bullet train, and I like I want all I want the whole team to get murdered at the beginning. And uh, y- you know, you get me there. Get me, get me the middle part. Wow. Um, so, yeah, and I lit- I think that is essentially the way Mission Impossible movies are written today. With Tom Cruise now be- instead now Tom Cruise is sort of you know the main actor of the franchise is like. I would like to hang from the world's tallest building. Make a movie where that happens. Um, and so, you know, <laughs> we, we, we love it. That's why you're here for these movies. Um, I think, uh, you know, uh, I think this is, you know, the directors of the Mission Impossible movies are, are really interesting. Um, I think that'll be a fun thing for you to track with the series because they basically, Tom, this is Tom Cruise at like, Peak Tom Cruise is the first movie. Like he's in the nineties, he's a big star. He's just he's only works with the greatest directors in the world at this point. He's just about to go, you know, he's just about to go make Eyes Wide Shut with Stanley Stanley Kubrick, where which oh, he's gonna shoot yeah. for two years. Um, so he's he's a big deal. He wants to be respected as an artist, but this is him in blockbuster mode. But he he's you know he can throw his weight around, and he wants you know Brian De Palma, who you know director of. Scarface, Blowout, um, mm. sort of a classic uh, Hitchcock maker of Hitchcockian, uh, but more perverted thrillers. Um, mm. And so, uh, but all of these for a while, it's a new director in every film. So you get really, you get, um, you get De Palma for this. You get John Woo for the second one coming in from, you know, his classic Hong Kong films. You get a more action oriented uh, movie for that. And then yeah. uh, you get, J.J. Uh, Abrams um, yeah. making his first film in three um, <laughs> and setting out the J.J. Abrams template. Um, and then you get Brad Bird making his first uh, non-animated movie for the fourth one. Uh, hmm. And then uh, at this point, uh, at that point, uh, Christopher McQuarrie takes over for takes over the franchise and is the first guy to direct multiple ones. And he is basically what he does is he takes these four really different movies and it's like, okay, uh, like all of these things are very separate. What are like the common plot threads? Like who is Ethan Hunt as a character based on these four really different movies? And he starts writing hmm. towards that. And he also, again, you know, Tom Cruise wants to hang on to a, a, a 747 while it takes off. So he writes that in there too. Um, but I think this movie is kind of interesting in that um, it was sort of, you know, this is not necessarily intended to be a franchise. It's an adaption of a TV show, which a lot of people... Right. Uh, don't know. We basically take uh, nothing from the TV show besides like mask and um, you know this message will self destruct in five seconds and the theme song and something that you would absolutely never do today if you were adapting something is they make the main character of the TV show Jim Phelps the villain of the movie, which hmm. like hmm. you know you simply wouldn't in the today's IP era. 
you know, you simply wouldn't do that. You wouldn't make the main character of the TV show the bad guy and introduce a new cool character played by Tom Cruise who's going to take over the franchise from here on out. Um, but they do that, uh, it's, which is really interesting. And But Quarry basically focuses in on the fact that at the beginning of this movie, um, you know, Tom Cruise loses, Ethan Hunt loses his whole team. And he never really gets over that trauma. And he's always, from this point on, it's about he can't let a, he can't let another person die on his watch, even if he has to, you know, uh, you know, hang from a tall building, have a fight on a nuclear bomb, uh, you know, give, you know, he literally in in the latest movie lets terrorists get away with uh, a nuclear bomb rather than let one member of his team uh, die. So I mean. I think retroactively this becomes interesting, but I mean, De Palma's here so he can do weird angles and uh, Tom Cruise can show off his close-up magic skills and we can have, you know, uh, two or three absolutely banger set pieces. Um, but the plot gets us to that, but uh, it's going to be a while before uh, the franchise sort of starts actually retroactively constructing its story. But, the, you know, this is a good, it's a twisty sort of spy thriller uh, you know, uh, it has some parts that I think really work, and I'll get into what I don't think totally works in another category, but yeah, mm. I would say totally functional, but you know, you get some great sequences that are one of, you know, the best suspense directors uh, Hollywood has ever produced, really wilding out. I mean, it's mm. in, you know, eventually this is quite a, uh, you know, a low-key movie compared to uh, where the franchise will go, uh, but it's entertaining. Um, and, you know, you get to see Tom Cruise in full movie star mode and you get to see Brian De Palma doing, you know, his weird split diopter shots and crazy canted angle. And, uh, you right. know, in in the weird restaurants that are mostly a fish tank for some reason. It's good <laughs> yeah. stuff. Right. <laughs> yeah. All right. So seven out of ten. Um, but, yeah, no, I, I, I echo that in so many ways. Like literally nowadays, it seems, you know, Tom Cruise is like, look, I want to I want to time travel. <laughs> like not my character like i tom cruise want to time travel can we write that into something the audience will love it they'll, you know yeah, we gotta do it real it. or they don't believe yeah, it's gotta I'll be bring, authentic it's I'll gotta bring, be authentic i'll bring cameras with me and and the ancient egyptians will yeah. you know they'll appreciate it immensely the people I always feel bad for in this scenario are the cameramen who like because Tom Cruise wants to jump out of a, tra a you know a train or a plane or some other moving vehicle they also have to do it. They right. they all have to do it too. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Pete, zero to ten, how would you rank the plot? Oh, this is so, both of you have made some really good points, and the interesting thing is just it's fascinating how many different directors are involved, and we'll go through that in this series. But I think I just assumed there would have been a lot more carryover earlier on, but. That's an interesting, interesting little tidbit. Um, I gave it the plot a six out of 10. You know what? It was fine. Like you guys said, it wasn't bad. It just wasn't the best. I think I'm assuming these films improve over time. Um, I felt like this was a good enough plot. It worked. It got us to where we needed to go. It got some fun things on the screen. Um, but at the end of the day, it was, uh, you know, a little bit like of an obligatory, okay, I, I have to watch this one to get to maybe some of the better Mission Impossibles. Um, but ultimately it was easy to follow. It did have some twists and turns, except for like, I was, I don't really quite understand 
the logistics of how that ambiguous 1996 Bible chat room worked and how Tom Cruise kind of got the bait <laughs> out. And like, it was just kind of like, okay, 90s kind of chat room yeah. investigating. Good Spy enough. I government internet. Yeah. He's going to go on the internet. The kids <laughs> are going to love it. He's going to do some hardcore Usenet search. <laughs> so He's like, a spy. Yeah, like there was, you know, I was just like, whatever, it's the 90s, I'll, I'll, I'll live with this. But um, some of the dated tech and the mid-90s action uh, soundtracks were a bit lame. But, I mean, the iconic moments of, like, the face mask ripping off and iconic things. So, 6 out of 10, very serviceable plot, wasn't bad, but I look forward to the things to come, I think. <laughs> All right. Uh, so next category is Tom Cruise performance. I gave this an eight out of 10, which listen, wow. may surprise. Yeah. See, there you go. May surprise some people because I have, um, historically, uh, I mean, I feel like this isn't even true anymore, but for a long while I was a Tom Cruise <laughs> hater. Um, I looked down on the guy both professionally and probably <laughs> physically if I were to meet him face to face. Um, <laughs> But I, and that's, that I'm sure? saying that as a five foot seven person. And, <laughs> but no, he, like, I saw a lot of carryover in this from Top Gun, just in the sense that he's kind of got that maverick, the rules don't apply to me. Um, mm. You know, I've been told to abort the mission, but the, you know, the package is in the open. I'm going to go for it kind of thing. Um, but I really bought, you know, Ethan Hunt in this film is hit with a lot of holy shit moments. Like, whether it be the the one-by-one one death of his crew or it being, um, you know, the reveal of our villain or just like any number of any number of like sort of high emotional moments. Um, and I just, I don't know, something about his performance. I, it was fun to watch. He inhabited not only the character, but sort of, you know, it, it's, it's no surprise to me after watching him in this role that someone somewhere said, Hey, let's make six more. Um, <laughs> and so, yeah, no, I it's, I don't have much more to say about it. It, it. It's an 8 out of 10. I mean, nobody else has played this role, so I'm not really comparing it to, you know, I'm not comparing it to others. It's not like I'm I'm sitting here going like, oh, it's the it's, you know, compared to Sean Connery's Ethan Hunt. Um <laughs> or um oh, what's his name? Roger Moore. Roger Moore. Yeah. Oh my god. Um <laughs> Yeah, it's like the Roger Moore or the <laughs> Timothy Dalton. Um, but yeah, so, you know, it's just, yeah, 8 out of 10. It, it was it, He was good. He was entertaining. I didn't find myself distracted by, by his one front tooth too often. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's an 8 out of 10 for me. What about you, Zach? You know what? I am going to go ahead... And, well, first, let me say, like, Tom Cruise, I think, probably, to my mind, has a good claim on being our greatest living movie star. I think, you know, there are two people uh, who maybe hey. can challenge him. For it. It's 
he's he's got the movies. He's got the art. I would say, you know, Denzel Washington, Tom Hanks, probably other two guys in the race. But in terms of like box office success and just prolonged career and just being a human charisma machine, uh, who you know, with no concept that he uh, or fear of death, uh, he is he. You know, he's kind of he's the guy. So I'm going to that said. Uh, I'm going to give him a seven here because uh, grading on a curve, I think he's going to get a lot better over the course of the franchise. Mm. Uh, he's he's very good here, um, but I I think he is literally like I think he's literally going to go off and make a, you know two years for the next two years he's going to go off. He's going to make a Stanley Kubrick movie. He's going to give maybe his best ever performance in Magnolia. Uh, after that, I think he's hmm. going to become a better he come a, come out of the other side of that a better actor uh, hmm. and find new places to take this part. Uh, you know, he doesn't quite have that crazy gleam in his eyes that I love about uh, late period uh, Ethan Hunt. Um, uh, you know, and I would and you know he he also it falls on him to sort of uh, sell the films you know, to partially sell the film's romance. And I think he struggles there. Um, we'll get to that. But uh, I, I don't think he finds the chemistry with uh, Emmanuel Baird. Um, and, uh, you know, he's he's just doing some movie star text. So the thing with the, uh, where he's doing uh, magic, making the disc disappear, uh, mm. is a silly bit. You can tell he probably worked really hard on it, wanted to work it into the film. Um, but, uh, it's goofy. Um, but that said, you know, you need a man who can deliver the, you know, the physical performance of hanging by a wire in a, you know, a white room uh, and look totally at place doing this impossible stunt. You look, you need the man who can, you know, who looks like he understands uh, the exact physics of how he can jump on a helicopter, lay an explosive and use that explosive to blow himself back onto a moving train. Uh <laughs> Those are hard things for an actor to sell, and uh, you mm. know Tom Cruise sells those kind of things better than uh, just about anybody. Uh, so yeah, sure. I think you know I think he's very good. Uh, it's hard to imagine. It's certainly hard to imagine anyone else in the part, but I think um, by the end of the franchise, he's going to be totally owning this role. So I, you know, I want to I want to give you guys room to grow. I I do agree that in a world of actors. We have very few, like, gone are the days of the movie star. Um, gone are the days of, of, of the Hollywood star. Um, and, and now we kind of just live in a world of actors. Like, we, we don't, we don't see them as these, like, next level entities almost anymore. Mm. Um, and there, there, but there are a few that still fall into that category. Um, Leonardo DiCaprio probably being one of them. Um, and, and yeah, definitely, definitely Tom Cruise fits that. Yeah. The way know, I um, would sort of, yeah, the way I would sort of define like the movie stardom of at least, you know, my youth and a bit before my youth, like you can just make a movie where the pitch is Tom Cruise has a job, <laughs> you know, Tom Cruise <laughs> is a cocktail waiter. Tom Cruise is a fighter jet pilot. Yeah. Um, you know, it was a lot of, you know, movies, you know, a lot of the current sort of generation movie stars like, you know, 
Chris Pratt is Star-Lord, and we watch him when he's Star-Lord, but we're not really interested in, you know, his indie movies necessarily. He doesn't open a movie automatically by being Chris Pratt. He opens a movie by being Star-Lord or Jurassic World guy that we all love. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I would say just Tom Cruise is, you know, and some of those other... There's definitely other folks like that still um, who can, you know, open a movie based on their name, but the, the it's a shrinking group. Yeah, I I agree. Yeah, yeah. it literally there could there's probably a boardroom out there where someone's like, okay, I have an idea. (laughs) Tom Cruise goes to buy an ice cream, but the ice cream store is closed. (laughs) And then some powerful executive says, "I love it. Go write it." (laughs) Is he gonna run? He's gonna do the run with the arms pumping to get the ice cream. How much budget do you need? Yeah, go. All right, Pete, what do you think about uh, Tom Cruise's performance in this? Uh, Well, I have to say, it it was an interesting 1996 for Tom Cruise being both in Mission Impossible and Jerry Maguire, cracking two films that cracked the top 10 uh, grossing. So, I mean, he's he's definitely on the scene here. Um, I'm in the same camp as you guys, maybe a bit critical. I didn't dislike his performance. I gave it a six out of 10. I I'm again, kind of like I said in the plot, I'm expecting bigger and better as we go on. I'm still trying to learn about what I feel about Tom Cruise is like his career. I feel like there's some early stuff I appreciate and there's some later stuff I appreciate. And it's where in the middle that it, it, it kind of takes off that I'm tr- really trying to get my finger on the pulse of finding what I appreciate and what was kind of so-so. And this one was kind of in the so-so category. He, he, he was fine. Uh, there was just a couple times, like I almost found a manic where like, uh, his love interest, Claire, at the time, I guess they weren't quite love interests. I'm not really clear. But she comes back and, you know, she's he's kind of like yelling at her. And I didn't find his, uh, it just, instead of like being pent up emotion, I just found it like screaming. And so there's a few times where I just wasn't really completely buying what he was doing. Um, and it just did feel a bit forced. Uh, but I, I have hopes for it to come up to a higher level. And I think, again, as the series goes on, as he's matured in his career, and that I know he gets to in other films and more present day of, of having a better uh, acting chops, or at least more that I appreciate, I am I'm anticipating that that six will become a higher number as we go on. So a six out of ten wasn't bad, wasn't amazing. Cool. All right. So category three is villains. Or the villain. Um, I gave this an 8 out of 10. I mean, it's hmm. a fun twist that you maybe start to see coming a little bit or you can kind of suspect. But also, I feel like for a first time watch, they do a good job of making it feel like an oh wow moment. Um Especially then when it's not just him, but uh, I'm blanking the character's name. Mm, um, Claire? Claire, when Claire's in on it too, right? Um, Mm. But really, because you kind of come to like, you know, there's that first moment in the safe house where Claire shows up and our guard is up. We kind of don't know, like, you know, what's the deal? But then I feel like they do a really good job of selling you on, oh, no, 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 she's one of us and we're supposed to like her and trust her and all of this Mm. stuff. But the main villain, you know, he's John Voight. I mean, you know. I I don't know what else to say. John, you know, 
name it name a John Voight like Trump endorser or not name a name a John <laughs> Voight role that you don't think John Voight is fantastic in right um so yeah I he was he was good I do think it's a fun so yeah he's he's the main character of not only the 60s, 1966, seven, mm. uh, Mission Impossible TV series, but also the one from the 80s. Um, they kind of brought him back. They did like a revival, a short, short-lived revival in the 80s. Um, mm. But yeah, yeah. And that was played by Peter Graves from Airplane. Mm-hmm. Both times. Sort of his big role, yes. Both times. Interesting. Who, he re, who refused to come back, who I believe they offered him the part, and he refused to come back and uh, was very grumpy about the movie, uh, making his hmm. character uh, the bad guy. Interesting. Oh, well, get over it. Um, <laughs> I, I think... Take you the money, man. I, I do think there would have been something special about him coming back for this. Um you know, of sort of in the same vein as as much as I'm not a fan of the 21 and 22 Trump, Jump Street movies, mm. the moment when Johnny Depp shows up as Tom Hansen from right. the 90s, like that's yep. that's a fun moment when you sort mm. of acknowledge that this is within the same because instantly that would have made it the same continuity. Mm hmm. In a sense, right? Right. You would yep. have kind of gone, "Oh, holy crap!" Like the, the TV shows are canon. Like this is this is this is kind of a cool moment. I mean, the fact that they weren't able to, I, you can't go wrong with John Voight, um, at least from his acting standpoint. And uh, and yeah, so it was it it it's fun. I think it's a great reveal. Um, I really love. I'm going to talk about it here because there's not really another category to talk about it in. But I think maybe plot, but I think it was masterful when the two of them are sitting in the diner. And are they in the diner? No, they're back at the safe house. They're back at the safe house. Yeah, safe house. And and what we're seeing in flashbacks is not the same as what, like, Tom Cruise Mm. is going along with it. Right. But yep. in his head, he's piecing it together. And what yeah. we're seeing is him piece it together while really he's stringing John, he's, he's stringing Jim along. Sure. Because it's not the right moment. He's not in a position to reveal that he knows. Mm-hmm. And so that I really like as sort of a, a, as someone who's who's made short films myself and and someone who who you know as a kid all i wanted to do was make movies i really 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 respected that creative decision hmm. i thought that was so fun it was so well done um and yeah so it's it's good he you know he's cold hearted the way he then turns around and shoots claire um <sighs> like he is he's a true villain mm-hmm. and and yeah, he just he I think he rocked this role. And and he didn't need a complex he doesn't need a complex background. You know, some of our more famous villains in in history have these really deep emotional backstories with these strong motives, right? So so taking a look, I'll take an example from DC and an example from Marvel. In DC, the most recent um, wow, for like the last 25 years now, but the origins of Mr. Freeze. 
right? He's hell bent. He's doing. He's willing to do anything possible to save his wife Nora, right? And that's that is his motivation. That is his conviction. An example from Marvel would be Magneto from the X Men. Hmm. He believes in his cause. What makes Magneto so scary as a villain is that he doesn't think he's a villain, right? He he believes in his cause and what he's doing is fighting for the survival of all mutants. And that makes him a powerful foe. And but in these in these types of movies, like in 007 films, there was never well, no, that's not true. In the Daniel Craig ones, there were some with some pretty rich yep. um specifically the guy was it I'm missing the actor's name now. The He's like Latin American. The guy that was missing like half his face. Oh, the oh, sky. Vardam. Silva. Yeah, yeah Vardam. Heavier. Heavier yeah. Vardam. Yeah. yeah. Uh, he, so he had he had some like deep rooted conviction and motives and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But in these spy thriller type things, I don't really think we need villains that have super rich motives. Right? That's like the whole spy trope, right? And and what the Austin Powers series drew through with with Dr. Evil, right? Sometimes someone's just a dick who wants to take over the world <laughs> and, and you know, and is out for personal gain. Now, he did have some, right? He talked about, he, talk, he kind of monologues for a bit and he says, mm. you know, it was going to lead to this eventually anyways. Like he's, 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 was an agent. He yep. was a good guy, but mm. somewhere down the road, he's gotten twisted and led astray and his motives have changed um but he also probably believes that what he's doing is for the best in some way um but yeah all in all eight out of ten i loved the villain um yeah no complaints for me zach so i will so i basically agree with all you said i think you know i will say i think voice is a little bit on autopilot here. He's never bad, you know. I mean, he's somewhat of a villain in real life, but uh, he's Void is never bad. But I think he's doing, you know, basic John Void villain performance. I think when he gets to give that monologue where he's, you know, uh, where he's talking about himself, but not really talking about himself, where he lays up that he's, you know, he's been doing this for years, he hasn't got ahead, uh, mm-hmm. and you know. Something like the president of the United States is out there running the country without your, without my permission, essentially. Uh, mm. I think Void is great. He's a great actor. When you give him, you know, when you give him good stuff, uh, he's very good. Um, he's not in the movie a ton by nature of the structure of the plot. You know, he's pretending to be dead for a lot of it. Um, he does, you know, he is eventually revealed to be uh, pretty cold-hearted. Um, you know, Void does that well, so he's. He's villainous, but, you know, the, the vill- he's not really um, the focal point of the character. I'm going to, um, I'm going to, so, you know, and I think, again, if we're grading, grading on a curve, we are going to get better villains for this franchise later. Um, I think, mm. I, you know, I think uh, Mission Impossible 3 has, you know, one of the great villain performances of all time, in my opinion. Uh, so wow. there's, so there's, there's, bigger stuff to come, I think, in the franchise, and I, I you know, I like John Harris in the later movies as well. Um, so, I'm going to give it a 6, but I'm also going to say, I'm going to bump it up to 6.5, because I want to spend just a short period of time talking about 
not really the villain, uh, but a character that appears all these this, these times in the movie. A version is the you know the officious boss who you know disavows Tom Cruise and uh, it, it played by Kittredge, played by uh, Canadian actor Harry Cerny, who I think is just fabulous in this film. Is you know he's that over enunciated performance, that disdain he approaches with every scene. Uh, hmm. So the you know it's. So precise, uh, you know. Uh, I guess you're responsible, then. You know that sort of thing he does. As you say, there's no one else to blame. Uh, it's a really fun performance. You like hate the guy so much the whole time through, and he gets to give one of my, which is like a total cliche in action films, but it's like my favorite thing. I love it every time it happens where one of the characters talks about, like, is constantly talking about how badass our main character is. It's like, you know, um, you know, you could drop Ethan Hunt naked from a helicopter in the middle of Alaska, and he would come, and two days later, he'd be back in New York wearing a $2,000 suit with a hundred bucks in his pocket, and he'd punch you right in the face. Like, you know, uh, this guy is, you know, we can't stop him. He's so much better than us. And he gives a lot of those speeches, and he sells the heck out of it, so... Uh, you know, I'm going to bump villain to a 6.5 for Kittredge. I'm very excited that Kittredge is back in the new Mission Impossible after being gone for, uh, for six films, I think. Uh, so, you know, we, I guess five films. So we get to find out what Kittredge has been up to, because I've been wondering. I do think, I do think it's fair to say that John Voight is at his prime when he is freaking out because he's just realized that the piece of parchment on his dining room table is the declaration of independence um, <laughs> and 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 all other roles are fall somewhere well, slightly south of that but you know way, what's so. a, you know what's a great john void villain performance anaconda oh uh, yeah <laughs> he's yeah. the most over the top uh, you know, he's was one of the most like unhinged performances an actor he's ever given. I love it. He's like doing a ridiculous, you know, Mexican accent the whole time. Uh, he's like literally bulging his eyes out as hard as he can every second of that movie. It's like he plays a human leer. His performance in Anaconda is very fun. Yeah, uh, Pete, what say you, sir? Very good points on both both parts. It is a tricky situation, right? Because uh, you get a bit of a twofer where you've got really the main villain who ends up being Voight, but uh, you do have uh, the the lead who eventually turns out to be good and you realize he wasn't as much of an antagonist as you once thought he was. Uh, but yeah, Voight is good. You go, again, I, I was I had to look up his filmography while we were just chatting here because I'm like, other than National Treasure, what do I know him from? That's Holes. his most iconic role for me, but I was uh, coming he, across... He created half of Angelina Jolie's genetic material. <laughs> yeah, there's that. <laughs> but yeah, Anaconda, Pearl Harbor, there's a lot of stuff on here that I recognize that I you know kind of just forgot Holes, he was don't in. You? I've you seen, seen Holes, Holes once. I, I'm not a Holes a- apologist. Like there, there are people out there who live and die by that film. Yeah. Um, and I've seen it maybe twice probably both when I had the stomach flu and I was like, <laughs> I just need something to like put on and watch. Um, but yeah, I, it's, I, you know, Sigourney Weaver, Shia LaBeouf, mm-hmm. Tim Blake Nelson, like holes is a great film, but yeah, I'm not, I, I don't understand the holes craze. 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> Holzmany has gripped the nation, and we are back. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I guess it was an amazing book or something, and then people. Just yeah, got I think the book fueled about the, that. Yeah, and Shia LaBeouf, right? Shia LaBeouf. Yeah. I look. Yeah. I you know the guys. The guys a little crazy. He's had some legal trouble. He might not be the greatest, easiest guy in the world to work with, but like, you know, I I'll tell you what, when I first got Disney Plus, the first thing that I went to was some <laughs> old school even Stevens. Like I yes. was like, set yeah. me up, man. Yeah. Uh yeah, but yeah, he should I, get his career back on track for making holes too. The people are ready. <laughs> they need to know. Are there gonna be more holes? Yeah. <laughs> oh, but yeah, villain. I get aimed it more at Voight. Uh, I gave it a six out of ten. It was fine. All the points you guys highlighted were great, um, and he, he was fine at it. The one thing that I'm curious, and I'm not here to throw stones, uh, I'm just curious. I'll ask it rhetorically. Um, actually, I won't even ask it rhetorically. There was a bit of an age difference between this character and his his wife or his romantic interest. There was. Okay. Okay, there, no, back up. Let me finish. I'm not. I'm just. I'm just saying. He at the time of filming, filming, Voight was 58, and uh, Emmanuel was 33. So there's, there's a, there's a bit of an age difference there. It's- He's a villain, Pete. <laughs> He's he doesn't a bad adhere dude. to your moral standards about how <laughs> old his wife should be. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you see that all the time, though, right? Like, I know you see it all the time, but I'm just like, I'm just looking at it. I'm like, really, Tom on, Cruise? Let me, let me look this Tom, up. You're, How you're, old? When, when you look like John Voight, you're beating the ladies off with a stick. <laughs> Are you though? Because I'm looking and I'm saying, yeah, you she's, pretty- she, she's choosing between a 50 year old Voight and Tom Cruise. I, I don't know. I'm just, I. I'm a happily married mean, man, but I'm just saying Tom Cruise was a looker. That's what I've heard. That's what uh, people have told me. And you know um, what? David Letterman is a 75 year old man <laughs> with a 19 year old son. <laughs> Actually, wait to take it one step further. Uh, uh, he's not dating his son, is he? <laughs> no, but clearly, <laughs> clearly, his wife was some degree. Yeah. Yeah, younger yeah. than he. Um, <laughs> the other one, the other one that's got like a, a shockingly young wife and just had kids. Oh, is, um, yeah. Hang on. I feel so, like you're gonna say it, and I'm gonna say, aha, uh-huh, yeah. Um, so he's got th- three kids. Yeah. Ooh. So one from a previous previous wife. So Billy Joel, the singer who we all know and love, oh, the piano man. Yeah. Yeah. He has a daughter who's 36. So, okay, yep. he's 73. Yep. She's 36. I mean, sure. he was he was 40. getting up there when he had a kid, yeah. but, you know. Yep. Yep. He's also got a five and a seven-year-old. Oh, dang. Wow. Which I think is fantastic only because, sure. listen, if you're 73 and you have a five-year-old, you know what you're not going to do? Pay for college. <laughs> well. Oh, you'll pay. Anyway, I didn't want to throw stones down this rabbit hole. I just wanted to point out my eyebrow was raised, not necessarily in judgment, but out of question going, really, Claire, you, you, you really have a, like, you, what do you see in this guy other than maybe his pocketbook? I don't know. Uh, well, six out of 10. 
love him and i love uh uh agent eugene as well as zach pointed out it was a kind of unique category where for part of the film we had one who we thought was the villain and then it turned out being another in what in trying to figure out if if in trying to figure out what claire saw in him i was about to google is john voight hung like a horse but then i realized that was <laughs> not a search result that's not search history that i need no definitely no. not that's okay. that's a side of Reddit that I like to avoid. <laughs> they'll they'll probably call speak- you up for the January sixth commission for that one. Yeah. Speaking speaking of gadgets. <laughs> speaking of John Voigt's oversized gadget. Um no, so I uh <laughs> I gave gadgets an eight. Listen. I eight was something on eight? Yeah, so well bear with me. Wow. So okay. something okay. Something I'm because because I'm including a couple of things in gadgets that I think you could have maybe con- it you maybe could have included mm. in fights in action. Oh, okay. Um, also because I feel like like whereas often a criticism of mine in the 007 series because every so often they'd be like oh we're gonna take 007 a little more seriously we're gonna make him a little more grounded we're gonna take away some of the ridiculous like machine guns and the Aston Martin and stuff like that. That was always a mm. criticism of mine because I was like, look, I grew up playing the video game, the 007 video games, Nightfire and and yep. stuff like that. And what I wanted in my 007 films was laser watches and remote this and, you know, mm. whatever else. Yep. And so I... In the area in which 007 let me down occasionally with gadgets, Mm. I foresee Mission Impossible being like gadget pornography. (laughs) Just this like great collection of of ridiculous stuff. Mm. Um, And so, first of all, we've got the exploding gum. That if that's not straight out of Q's laboratory, I don't know what is, right? <laughs> like that is top notch secret agent. You've got this gun. It's like Agent Cody Banks level stuff, right? Mm-hmm. Or Spy Kids, right? It's like you take the gum, you mix it together, and it's gonna go boom. That was fantastic. You've got some more subtle stuff, right? You've got you've got some of the hacking that goes on. You've got the the signal jammer. When they're on the, on the what is it a train? Yeah, on the train, the signal jammer, um, so stuff like that. You've got, yeah, you've got all of those things. But what I'm including in gadgets, which could have bumped this up to a nine or a ten, hmm. that you could also include in fights and action. But I'm choosing to include it in gadgets because it does. It is technically the the utilization of a gadget. How many? movies and tv shows have you seen that spoof utilize rip off make reference to tom cruise rappelling down from the ceiling Mm. not being able to sweat not being able to i think i think inspector gadget even spoofed this like Mm. it is that scene is hollywood spy movie royalty Yep. In the the yep. the pen that injects the extreme laxative 
into the guy's <laughs> coffee. And then yeah, I was worried you were not going to talk about the pen. The pen is maybe it's just it's not even it's like a little squirt gun goes into yep. his coffee. <laughs> yeah, it's gadget. nothing. Yep. It's nothing yep. that you, something that a kid you know you could probably pick up something like that now on Amazon for like ten bucks. <laughs> but and it makes you cute. But yeah, but it <laughs> it pen. like it was that scene of the rappelling down. He's got the sound meter on his wrist. He's got like it is just spy gadget even though it's it's nothing fancy right it's literally just like a rappel harness but the maneuver that he does and the like flipping right side up and then and then the tension of of when the rack comes along and he drops an inch Mm. and a half from the floor and like and again could be involved in in the action part of this analysis but with such a strong utilization of of gadgets and what he was doing um, that I can't help but like that scene alone propels this because it is like I said it is the gold standard you know it it that scene is spoofed the same way that a horror film parody would spoof puking green soup like it has just mm. become or pea soup it has just become so synonymous with the spy world that there's a heist you're going in for something you repel from the ceiling you can't make any noise you gotta wipe your sweat because your sweat can't your sweat can't hit the ground like it is mm-hmm. like i said it's it's hollywood gadget royalty so mm-hmm. so for me it is firmly an eight out of ten respectable uh, yeah, you know, Brady covered a lot of the gadgets. I'm going to even go a little bit further. Look, I don't actually, you know, if I have if I have questions about your rubric, I don't necessarily think gadgets to be way the same as Tom Cruise's performance or the plot, but these are good <laughs> gadgets. I think uh, Mission Impossible is kind of the gold standard in some ways for silly Hollywood spy gadgets. Oh, you that know, makes me from, so happy to hear. Yeah. <laughs> It is. So you mean you've got you've got recordings self-destruct after five seconds. Oh yes. What How better gadget? Yes. You know, you've got yeah. you've got that weird little thing where he unscrews the payphone and puts some weird guy and then can talk to his <laughs> boss. That's good too. I don't know what's going on there, but it's cool. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Um, that's like get and, smart with the shoe phone. Like it's just right. like yeah. it is it is oh it's so good. He just, it's, it's all sorts of a little bit of business. I mean, you know, they got floppy disk, a lot of floppy disk action in this film. Uh, mm-hmm. More of a, le- less of a cool spy gadget, but uh, fun to see, very retro. And, you know, yes, the whole, I mean, you know, I would maybe cover it a little more under the action category, but the Langley High sequence, the he has, they're like, so there's this laser grid we have to get through, and this vent we have to open, and they're like, they don't really go into how they're going to do that, and then they just go there, and then they've got this, like, crazy mirror vent opener <laughs> that they're like, never explain how they got or where it came from, right. but they just, they slide it in, open the vent, I'm like, okay, I guess that's how you do that. No further <laughs> questions. And then, yeah, they do a little, you know, they do little things like they, you know, dress up in outfits and, and squirt puke juice in people's coffee it's good oh even it's yeah even the ma- like you have to include the, the masks, masks like the disguises yes. which is mm-hmm. true like it's 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 one of those things like that when he takes the mask off in the beginning that's so cheesy and ridiculous and you're like oh come on but but you accept it because it's mission impossible 
You just accept it. You don't go, oh, this is a demerit. You just look at it and you go, this is, that is, that is espionage 10 plus. They've got perfect mass technology. I also yeah. like that they basically save the big reveal where it's like taking off the perfect John Voight mask for the end. And for the beginning, they do this weird thing where they have Tom Cruise in heavy, heavy makeup play a senator so that he can then yes. also yes. play the character he's pretending to be, which is a mm-hmm. funny bit. Uh, they, yeah. And then so you, they don't really, you know, if you, I guess if you've seen the television which I, show, which I haven't really, that, you know, the masks are like a big thing. And so you would be kind of waiting. Well, when are they going to actually do the mask? So the big reveal mm. that, you know, he's pretending to be John Voight is a very cool effect. They don't really do anything with it because uh, basically, uh, you know, everything plays out how it would have if he hadn't done that basically immediately afterwards. Um, but it's, it's a cool effect. There's, you know, and yeah, it's just, it's good, fun pop by craft. So I'm going to give the gadgets a nine out of 10. Hmm. Good golly. Very. I think they're iconic gadgets. You're not wrong. I, uh, I'm feeling some regret. I feel I scored this category a little too hard. I... Unlike you guys, think there's some room for improvement as we go on in these films. I gave it a five out of ten. Okay, and middle of the no, road. I'm well. I'm having a bit of regret because the more That's I'm talking fail. about it, I I you think I need. <laughs> I feel I feel I should have just embraced more some of the nostalgic aspects, and I think the reason I was so hard on it was I went down the list and I said floppy disks, big deal. I went pay phones, big deal. I went internet chat rooms in 1996, big deal. <laughs> but there are incredible ones, ones you guys highlighted, but the ones that were great for me was the gum, the explosive gum, the w- things that you can literally buy nowadays, but uh, the video Ray-Bans or the video glasses yeah. that they had. Like in 1996, that was incredible. Um, and so, yeah, there were some good ones. Um, and y- you can't say anything without talking about uh, the ripping off the masks, which is just iconic. We've said it, all three of us, but it's important. Uh, so, you know, I give it a five out of ten. I think there's a lot of room for improvement. That part I'm sticking to. Uh, but I feel like I went a bit hard, but five is not a fail. It uh, It's still passable, or at least right in the middle. And uh, again, I think as this, this series goes on, as we get into more uh, 2000s and more modern day... I'm just as it goes for action, as it goes for Tom Cruise, as it go for it goes for gadgets. I am I'm very excited to see what what comes. All right, uh, so we're already at an hour, so I'm going to rapid fire through this. Um, yeah. So fights and action. I gave this a six. Now listen, there isn't a lot of hand to hand combat. There's not a lot of gunplay. The action there that that is there is good. Um. I think the reason I gave this a six, and I'm going to leave it at this because I don't have much more to say about it, honestly. The reason I gave it a six was because I have some idea of what's to come. Um, so much mm-hmm. like Zach graded on a curve earlier, um, you know, as a standalone, if I was looking at just this film, which maybe I probably should have been, it might have been a little bit higher. Um, but Knowing that we've got this ridiculous 
uh, you know, even having seen the trailer for for the part one of of what's mm. to come, yeah. um, I just know that it gets ridiculous. I know that he <laughs> he climbs on a plane as it's taking off. I know that he that they shot a scene where he jumps out of a plane and and it's all like they've done a little bit of compositing and the storm and the sky, but this is actually him jumping out of a plane. You know, I know that Tom yeah. Cruise broke his ankle or like snapped his foot doing a stunt and finished the shot. Like, so yeah, I know that it's going to get nuts and I'm looking forward to that. And so, yeah, knowing what's coming, the best I could give this category was a six out of 10. What about you, Zach? Yeah, um, I'm gonna be a little bit more generous, but I basically, I think you're, you're, you know, look. There's no doubt that this becomes a great action franchise, and I would not say that this is a great action movie. I think Brian De Palma is a director who does suspense. He's enjoying getting to play with the, you know, the toys of of being able to have, you know, a sixty or seventy million dollar budget and being able to do some big stuff. But the great scene is the Langley Heist, and that's not really an action scene. It's a suspense scene, right? He masterfully sets up that, you know, if you make too much noise, if the room gets too hot, um, if, you know, you touch anything on the floor, he sets it up really masterfully. He tracks everything with the rat and the drip of sweat, um, you know, through that whole sequence. It's really brilliant. It's really thrilling. It's, you know, I think that is a 10 out of 10 iconic movie scene, as Brady says. Um and the rest of the film is good. I like the sequence at the end, but, like, there's just no... I mean, the, the train sequence is, you know... I mean, it's a big, audacious Hollywood thing where, you know, a, a helicopter gets hooked to a bullet train and flies through a tunnel. Like, that's... I don't want to understate that. That's pretty cool. But <laughs> there's... Like, the thing is, like, they... That's clearly, like, on a soundstage with wind machines, and there's no doubt if Tom Cruise had made that 15 years later, he would have been on a real bullet train with a real yeah. helicopter, and it would have yeah. it would have looked a lot cooler. It would have been a bigger sequence. And yeah, there's no... I mean, the series will go on to have some really good hand-to-hand combat, uh, and that's just not in this film. So yeah, I will give it a 7, with the caveat that I think at this point in the... You know, at this point with this director, um, it's more... They're more aiming for, you know, suspense and thrills than they are for, like, pure, like, you know, balladic Hong Kong action filmmaking, which I don't really love Mission Impossible 2, but you get... Uh, some more of the crazy, you know, John Woo is John Woo and, and hypes that up in the next level. I mean, the motorcycle sequences in that film are really practical and cool, uh, even if the plot is silly nonsense. Uh, so yeah, I'm gonna go with a seven for fights in action because I, this, you know, I think this is the Mission Impossibles are competing with the John Wick movies for the great American action franchise. Uh, and there's no doubt in terms of spectacle that, um, you know, Mission Impossible can't really be beat. So, this is this series is going to go to some crazy places. This is, you know, this is like a little aperitif for where they're going. It's going to get it's going to get so crazy. Hmm. Yeah, not much to add. I, I I love the iconic Langley scene, and I think that's a really good point you make, Zach. That it is almost more of a, a drama or a, a suspense sequence versus just a, an action fight sequence, but it's iconic nonetheless. And I gave it an eight out of ten fights in action. I was feeling generous, um, and I agree. The CGI train sequence for me doesn't age quite well, but I was I was lenient on it. I let that go. Um, I think just some of the fights and action sequences we'll get in the future will 
be higher than an eight, which is incredible. But uh, I thought it was it was still a fun ride, and um, yeah, even though the final sequence was a bit CGI, little little hokey, I, I was able to look past that. Cool. Um, romantic interest. I gave this a seven, and listen, the reason I gave this a seven was very simple. They didn't lean too heavily into it, and yes. I really didn't want them to. Yep. I felt like it didn't need it. This wasn't a James Bond film. I don't need to see him fornicating on a boat as the movie ends. <laughs> Yeah, I don't want to see Ethan Hunt have sex in a movie. I need him to be, like, fundamentally a sexless creature who, you know, gets his thrills from jumping off large buildings. Exactly. Exactly. Right? He's, he's, what is it, asexual, where you're just not all that interested? Yeah. Um, He's just, you know, he's attracted to jumping off out of airplanes. That's his sexuality. So there was some, there was some romance, and I didn't super buy it, and... Um, but you do buy it towards the end once you realize that Claire's in on everything. Like at first, when mm. it first starts happening, I'm like, wow, you moved on fast. Like <laughs> your husband died. But when you realize he didn't actually die and she's maybe not the best actress, like not the actress that plays her, but like the, no, no, as no, yeah. Claire herself yep. is not selling it super well. Um, and uh, yeah, so... But they didn't lean too heavily into it, and and that was the most important thing for me because I was like, you know, not that I'm, you know, one of my favorite films of all time is Titanic, and I love the romance that's in that. Like, I, this isn't a this isn't a me my interest in films type of thing because I love a good romance, um, but but it just it was a layer that the film didn't need, and I think they were aware of that, and so I gave it a seven out of ten. Respectable. I am going to, uh, I'm going to be a little harder on you, give it a five. I think the romance is the weakest part of the film for me. I just think Emmanuel Barrett and Tom Cruise, I'm not sure whose fault it is, but they don't have chemistry. It's supposed to be this, you know, it's supposed to be this whole thing where he's like, the only reason he's stringing this out is because he just can't believe that Claire would betray him. Like, he clearly is supposed to have feelings from, there's supposed to be like this sexual tension, um, where, you know, like in the scene where he's like, you know, he's like looking for a recording device in her body and it just feels awkward and horrible. He like pushes her down on the bed. Yeah. Uh, you never, you never, you know, I think they wisely died away from it. There's clearly supposed to be this sort of dynamic where, but you know, uh, this love triangle between like her and Cruz. And it just, it doesn't really play. You understand from like a script level that it's supposed to be there, but you never feel that he's particularly drawn to her or her to him. Um, she's an interesting choice. She didn't make a ton of ho- Emmanuel Baird did not make a ton of Hollywood films. She's more of a French art house actor. The thing I know her from uh, is a film. It's a, it's a three-hour film called uh, La Belle no- uh, Noises. Sorry for my terrible French accent, but uh, look, this is a family pod. She's very good in it. Uh, she is literally um, naked, basically, for the entirety of a three-hour film. So, <laughs> um, you know. Family podcast, but uh, she's a very beautiful woman. Uh, but she gives a great, you know, actually performance in that film and in a lot of other European stuff. I think she's a little lost in a Hollywood movie. Um, and she's getting, you know, I think Cruz's charisma is blasting her off the screen a little bit. You want that character to feel more like a femme fatale. And, you know, the question of will she betray and will she not? And, it, uh, you know, and it's, 
you know, she's not, she's not bad. She's a, you know, totally, yeah, totally serviceable, but you want the care you, and this will be something that plays across in a lot of Mission Impossible movies. You want the female love interest to be a little more of an equal for Cruz. That doesn't really mm. happen till late in the series. And when it does, it kind of finally clicks in. Uh, and you have some pretty, uh, you know, you have some fits and starts until they get there. So I'm going to give it a five. Um, they were wise to sort of downplay it, but it does feel like that should be more of an element in the movie. And clearly they, you know, it just wasn't compelling on screen. So they could uh, go there. Hmm. Interesting. Uh, yeah, I gave romantic interest a six out of ten. It was fine. It was adequate. I agree. I don't. I don't think I needed to see them together. Their chemistry was a little lacking. The only thing, you know, I, I just put a question mark under this category. I was just like, it was fine. I don't have a whole lot to say. The only thing I will bring up, and I brought it up before, but there was that point where Tom and and John Voigt were were chatting, and and at that point we didn't realize who was doing what as far as the double crossing and what was all done, but. John Voigt mentioned, oh my gosh, I was sitting in a coffee shop and I, I saw her, I saw her there and she had to put on a brave face. She had to move on. She, she had to get the job done. And I was like, yeah, but also you're like three times her age. So maybe she just wasn't that heartbroken that you got off. But like, I don't know. Just, I don't know. I don't buy the relationship. That's all I'm going to say. But uh, as far as the relationship between her and Tom. Six out of ten. It was fine. All right. Uh, supporting characters. I gave this a six, which may seem low. That does. And don't get me wrong. What? I loved several, like, you know, Krieger is is great. I like him. I, every, every time that, uh, what's his name? Jean Reno? Jean Reno. Yeah. Renault great, shows up. The most French-looking man ever, Jean Renault. Oh, he's yeah. We're like, we need a French guy for this film. Well, we know who to get, right? And and everything from Da Vinci Code to wasn't he in the 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 at least one of the Pink Panther movies? Mm, that sounds yeah, familiar. I believe so. I mean, he's Leon, the professional. Yeah. Mm, yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So he's I, he's fantastic in everything. Um. So don't get me wrong. I loved him. I loved Luther. Oh, hold the phone. Hold the phone. He plays the voice of Shadow in Homeward Bound. Yep. No. My goodness. No. That, oh, sorry. The, the French, French. The French he, dub. My bad. It's okay. The he's, French so he's, dub. <laughs> good Lord. <laughs> I was just yeah, I wouldn't remember. I mean, I haven't seen that movie in a while, but I would. I think I would have remembered if, for some reason, the main character, of like the the old dog, was like extremely French. That would have been like a choice that I feel I would have resonated more with. Me. That was a situation where my eyes were reading something, but my brain wasn't thinking about it. Where Pete, I was going, that voice doesn't check out, but it says it right here. Pete, I think I. I Who knows? For he's been on an. Inc- He's been I, saying on an incredible American accent the whole time. I think I, I yeah, I think I, I speak for everyone when I say sit down and shut up. Um, <laughs> no, so uh, yeah, Claire and Kittredge and you know all of these people, Max, fantastic. The reason why I gave it a six out of ten is because you don't dish out the cash for Emilio Estevez. 
and then kill him in the first 20 minutes. I, for me, I just, there were members of that initial team, specifically Emilio Estevez and um, Kristen Scott Thomas's character, uh, Sarah, I think, um, who I was like, I was already invested. I was like, oh yeah, okay. Emilio Estevez is this like sassy hacker who's like, wow, well, I guess I'm not wearing my tux. And like, I was like, I, I was excited for them. I was like, ooh, this is this is fun. Emilio Estevez is in this. And then I was like, well, but is he? <laughs> like, is he really in this movie? Um, so I gave it a 6 out of 10 only because, in the, like, I get it. These people needed to die, and they killed it off. They killed them off for the plot, and it was an important plot device. But I would have rather, I didn't need to be, I didn't need to be invested in, the initial team in order to empathize or sympathize with Ethan's loss. Mm. And so I think I would have rather the initial team be killed off by people. I like names. I didn't know. Right. Whereas, you know, like I know that coming up in, in some sort of supporting role, I don't know. And don't spoil it for me, Zach. I don't know if it's similar to, to Emilio Estevez's role or what it is, I know I'm going to get a heavy Simon Pegg presence in Mission Impossible, and I'm looking forward to that. Um, but but I had that same sort of like fun, like I didn't know Emilio was in this, and so when I saw him, I was like, all right, like the respectable Sheen brother, here we go, like let's <laughs> let's get it done. And then he dies so quick in a pretty gruesome, pretty gruesome way. And so yeah, I was just like. I gave it a six out of 10 only because there were characters who like the characters that stick around every, everyone, every supporting character that is in this, I think is fantastic. There was just some that I wish I had gotten some more of. So I, mm. I rated it a little lower six out of 10. Cool. I'm going to, uh, I'm going to give it an eight. Um, look, I think, for one, I think that, you know, casting, I will say, I think casting Estevez and Kristen Scott, Kristen Scott Thomas, ASR, as I'll call her from here on out, um, uh, works in the film's favor because it makes these characters, it makes you think that they're not going to kill these characters because, you know, they're played by actors we know and love. Um, I think that works. It makes the opening sequence play out as a big twist where it's like, oh, uh, like much like Ethan Hunt, uh, your footing is is taken out from under you because you thought you were going to have all these people a lot longer than you do. Uh, so I think that's smart casting. I think like the film is just filled. They basically went and like you know got the best um, possible character actors uh, to fill the part because it's a Tom Cruise movie with a big budget. So you can you know you can afford Jean Reno and Ving Rhames for these you know parts. You can get you can get uh, you know you can get Harry Sterney. You can get Vanessa Redgrave like. Uh, you know, uh, a legend of the British stage to do a relatively small part and, you know, um, be very, you know, fun in that part. Um, it's, you know, it's a great cast. They all pull off the little things they're asked to do. And you gotta, you gotta give some credit to, to Reigns as Luther, especially because he's going to be the only other person besides Tom Cruise to appear in all these films. Mm. Um, uh, and I think that character is interesting. I always like Reigns. I'm glad this is sort of, sustained his Hollywood career. I think he gets I think he gets a lot better in the part. I think uh 
something for you to track as you watch the rest of the films. I think his head gets a lot bigger as he ages. Uh, hmm. <laughs> his hats keep getting, like, tinier. <laughs> his head keeps getting bigger. I'm having a good time with it. But, you know, that character is is weirdly becomes sort of the emotional anchor of the whole franchise. We get to meet him here, and, uh, you know... Uh, it's another thing to track across the bench. So, I mean, I just think it's like it's a great 90s cast where you have ridiculously overqualified actors in small parts. Uh, and uh, that's fun. I love it when, you know, you can afford to do that because your film is led by Tom Cruise. So, hmm. and, you know, you, I think you get the value for having, you know, uh, uh, a Ving Rhames and a Jean Renault and a Vanessa Redgrave just popping up for a couple seats. Mm hmm. Uh, yeah, before I go on, Jean Renault has like a very established French dub filmography here. He's, he's Mufasa. He's in Homeward Bound. He's in Atlantis. Like very respectable French dub filmography here. Uh, but supporting characters, I gave it an eight out of 10. I was enthralled by it. Uh, I feel like the amount that this was in the film, it was a supporting character. We've got indoor smoking in the nineties. Uh, but, uh, carry over from our most recent episode of, uh, reviewing Pulp Fiction. We've got Marcellus Wallace back in town. I, I appreciated Luther as well. Emilio Estevan, you know, I, I wasn't as hurt. I understand the, the disappointment that he was gone and very little screen time, but, um, I did appreciate his presence. And, uh, yeah, Dame Vanessa Redgrave, although a small part, was great as Max. And uh, she was partners with Timothy Dalton for quite about 15 years. So the James Bond connection there, uh, they were a thing. Uh, but an 8 out of 10. I, I enjoyed the supporting characters in this. And I was so happy to see that Ving uh, Rames uh, is back. And he's not only back sporadically, he seems to be in every single Mission Impossible film. So I'm excited to to grow with him and Tom Cruise and uh, eight out of 10 for supporting characters. I did enjoy that. They were disavowed operatives like that. They, mm. they were all people who were in a similar boat more or less like that was, sure. yeah. that was fun. Yeah. And that's another, again, another good thing to track across the franchise. It's really funny that Tom Cruise is basically just never just doing impossible missions. He is constantly getting disavowed by the IMF. Uh, that is, you know, they have a very, lo very love-hate relationship with the organization that uh, employs him. Uh, he seems to do his best work when they have kicked him out and are hunting him across Europe. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so final category, intro sequence. Um, I, look, I gave this an 8 out of 10. Um, this, is, this is quintessential Mission Impossible. It starts out, as far as I understand it, it starts out, um, you don't really know what's going on. The The mask getting taken off is as big a reveal to us as it, you know, as it's supposed to be. Um, and yeah, it's just, it's just so fun. And there was something about, you know, having never really watched the Mission Impossible franchise, but, you know, you're living under a rock if you don't know the song. Um, you know, to have this to have this opening sequence with like, oh, we've chemically we've basically chemically killed her and we're going to bring her back. And all of this. So we're getting the information out and take the mask off. And did we get it? Yeah, we got it. And like and then and then 
the music starts. And it was mm. it was the same response in me when the 007 thing starts. It was almost but not quite the same response when you're sitting in the theater and you see the blue text that says a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. And then the music hits and all of the hairs on your arms stand up because you know something like no matter how bad this is, something special is about to happen. Um, yeah, it, it, I gave it an eight out of 10. I, I, I had no complaints. It was fun. It was irrelevant to the rest of the story. Um, but it set up perfectly set up the world with which we're playing in. So eight out of 10. Yeah, I'll, I'll give it a seven. Um, I think it's a little, I mean, it, I think it's intentionally sort of placing you back on your heels. It's a little confusing. It's a little, you know, there's, so you're sitting sort of weirdly far back from the action. Uh, and you're not sure who these people are and, and what's going on. I mean, it's, it's a good little disorientation, you know, um, and then, of course, they kick into the theme song, which is incredible. But it's weirdly, I think, the, you know, the end note where they're, again, they're sort of hitting the cruise bear thing. And it doesn't, you're totally like, it doesn't totally work. What's the relationship between these people? It never quite tracks. But, you know, I, I like it. It sets up, you know, that this origin, how this uh, team that's going to get, you know, mostly brutally murdered uh, works. And, uh, you know, if you're not familiar with the Mission Impossible concept, they give you the mask. They give you you know, spy craft and all that. So uh, it's good. And of course the theme, 10 out of 10 iconic, um, you know, it's a great kick to credit. Um, uh, uh, yeah. And plus if I give it a seven, it's going to allow me to get the average that I want at the end of this. So <laughs> I'm cheating this. system. <laughs> I, I give it a five out of 10, this sequence, you know, I've seen this film. This is the only film that I had seen prior to this review and uh, of the Mission Impossible series. And, you know, maybe the shock and awe was kind of worn off on me. And I was just kind of over it. It's fine. It's an interrogation scene. It's great. It's got an iconic mask reveal and what's going on. Nothing wrong about it. I think it's just lost its shine on me. Um, and the, the introductory music is great. I preferred the closing out music to more preferably actually to be honest i found the intro a little too flashy a little too chaotic a little bit too 1990s and choppy uh so the intro was fine uh but uh, again like everything that's i'm assuming is going to happen i think the hooks going forward will be we will be a bit better in my book so i give this a five out of ten all right the moment we're waiting for if National Treasure of, three yeah if i take exactly if i take all of my numbers and i total them up and then I divide them by eight, which for those at home is how you get an average. Not not always eight. Anyways, yeah, look I was going to say, yeah, figure yeah. out how, if you do, take take your number. Anyways, just <laughs> I gave Mission Impossible number one by default by 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 virtue of the scores that I gave it gives it a seven point two five. Which I think is respectable and is kind of right in line with what I would have given it, I think, had I had the free will to do so. <laughs> so <laughs> just, just once again, proving the validity of, of our ranking mm -hmm. system. Zach, how do you rank Mission Impossible? I mean, 1? if I'm being really technical, um, I give it a 7.06. Um, 
<laughs> we'll call that a seven. I guess you can call it a seven point one if you're counting uh, this point. It's not important. Uh, seven. You know, I think this is um, sort of an interesting relic. The franchise goes in a very different direction. This is definitely not my favorite movie in the franchise. I would probably rank it fifth uh, of the six. I do like it. I, it's you know I'm very fond of Brian De Palma. This is this is basically him at the end of his uh, at the end of his run as a really good director. I think. Um, but you know I would look if, if listeners want to check out some of his other films. Uh, you know uh, outside the big ones like Scarface and Carrie. Uh, Blowout is a really incredible uh, thriller. Um, and uh, Body Double is uh, also uh, very good, uh, if uh, somewhat perverted, as he often is. Uh, so I would recommend, I would, you know, it's it's a it's a nice little part of the Brian De Palma um, oeuvre. Uh, it's nice to see him get to work with a big budget. It's nice to see him work with a big star like Tom Cruise and um, it is also like the start of a new era for Tom Cruise. I mean, he, this is sort of where he latches into franchise filmmaking, um, which mm. will eventually, um, you know, allow him to be a movie star in his 60s, um, <laughs> you know, which sustains him after some dark period. Um, uh, you know, his career goes through some ebbs and flows after this. Um, uh, and, uh, this is, this catches him at an interesting time at the, you know, at the biggest, basically the biggest the movie star could be in the 90s. Um, and, you know, he made this big uh, hit this year and he got nominated for an Oscar for Jerry Maguire. So he's kind of top of the world. And uh, then the Tom Cruise image is going to sort of become a little, um, a little bit uh, uh, scuffed up, uh, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, and I'm... Uh, and uh, he uses this franchise to crawl out of that hole um, in an interesting way. So I like this as the starting point. I like this as a, an interesting point in the Chris's Two Men. It is very 90s. It ha- has its, you know, pacing problems and all that. And you can't help think in some of the sequences uh, how much bigger and better uh, this franchise is going to get. But, uh, you know, don't don't discount a, you know, don't discount a very well-made thriller. Uh, you get so few of them. Fair, fair. Uh, I gave it a six out of ten. So you know what, a three, three out of five, a six out of ten, depending on how you cut it. And uh, I think it's an appreciation for starting this series and an anticipation and an excitement of things to come. Uh, so it's again the obligatory. You know, if you got to watch, you got to watch them in order. You got to see where it comes from to where it's going to go. And I don't regret watching the first one, but I can already say with. I think pretty certain confidence. I don't think this will be my favorite. And uh, a six out of 10 is what it got. Well, all right. Pete, sir, can you wrap this up for us? I absolutely can. Well, first of all, thank you, Zach, for joining us. Uh, A long time coming. Uh, You even got your last Jedi comments in there, and that's great. Uh, Thank you for joining us. Thank you for joining the show, kickstarting our Mission Impossible series, and uh, being a fantastic guest. Thank um, you. It was great. It was a lot of fun. <laughs> uh, I'm, I, you know, I'm sure I feel like I pushed you guys to longer than your usual episode, so I'm sorry. I got a lot of fun no, no. about Mission Impossible. <laughs> this, this, is, this is pretty average for us if we have a okay, guest. Good. Yeah. 
That's all right. Uh, but yes, thank you for joining us, Zach. And thank you to the listener for joining us. Thank you for listening, whether you're a fan of Zach, a fan of Tom Cruise, a fan of Mission Impossible, or a fan of all those things. For whatever reason that you tuned in, thank you. So Check like out my our wife. S- <laughs> More so on the Tom Cruise Mission yeah. Impossible for her, but... Uh, yeah, you know. of course, yeah. <laughs> no, uh, check out our socials below like follow subscribe give us a good rate and review and uh, uh, check out our patreon page if you're so inclined you can help support the show help pay the bills as it is uh, coal burning season or keeping the, the, the house warm the winter is upon us and uh, check out our socials with for uh, updates and news or things to come votes upcoming votes upcoming episodes uh, stay tuned we've got some fun things coming And until next time, when we talk about that thing, that is the thing we'll talk about. (laughs) This podcast will self-destruct in five, (laughs) four, three, two.